You know, as we come to look at this issue of mental health, I, I'm not an expert on it, and I'm kind of approaching it with a real sense of, uh, kind of not nervousness, but a real sense of humility, hopefully, uh, and almost like I want to hold it as a, because it's a very sacred thing, because I think we're talking about something which is very, very difficult to talk about, uh, and I think that's why there's such a lot of stigma around it. But, you know, we all have mental health. You know, you might not think you do, but we all have mental Just like we all have physical health and emotional health and spiritual health, we all have mental health. And um, you see, we, we in, our, in our Western developed culture, we tend to want to bl- block everything off. Whereas in the ancient world, they actually knew a lot more than we do around certain things. And so thousands of years ago uh, in the Bible, Paul wrote this in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 23. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. In other words, you're not one thing. You're not just a body. You're not just emotions. You're not just spiritual, but you also have a mental dimension to who you are. So we all have mental health. And because we are this multidimensional beings, we must resist the kind of temptation to easily diagnose and think, oh, it's a mental issue, or oh, it's an emotional issue, or oh, it's a spiritual issue. Actually, sometimes things in our life can be a little bit of all of that. And it, and it can blend because we're holistic people. Being mentally healthy doesn't just mean you don't have mental health problems. It doesn't mean that. Being mentally healthy means you can make the most of your potential. You can cope with life. You can play a full and active part in your family, in your workplace and in your community. It's referred to nowadays as emotional health and well-being. Like we've discovered it because we're so intelligent But actually, if you read the Bible, in 3 John, John says, he writes to the elder, he says, To my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth, dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. So in other words, right back there, thousands of years ago, they understood that we're we're holistic people. It's not just a physical sense, but there's there's another dimension. And mental health is part of who we all are. So what is a mental health problem? There's a continuum, okay? And there's a whole host of things. Some of these words you will have heard of, some you may not have heard of. Some of you, you've heard of for very real reasons because they've affected you or are affecting you. There's a whole continuum. There's anxiety and there's depression. There's obsessive or compulsive disorders. There's phobias. There's eating disorders of which there are many. There's bipolar, there's schizophrenia, there's personality disorders. There's all kinds of labels, if you like, that are on this continuum of what we call mental health issues. How big is the issue? What are the statistics? Well, statistics can say lots of things and there are lots of statistics. But back in 2000, the World World Health Organization declared five out of ten leading causes of disabilities in the world, they, they said, were mental. They estimated that depression would be the second cause of death in the world by 2020. Can you take that in? Depression would be the second biggest cause of death in the world by 2020. And I love what what a leading psychiatrist, because I think this, this, this says something about our culture, especially in the Western developed world. He said this, I believe that man was designed for camel travel, not supersonic jet behavior. And he says, you see, life is fast. Life is unfair. Some get depressed because of the pace and expectation. The rest, because they lag behind so far. And there are some aspects of our culture which have fueled a greater degree of of some of these kind of issues. Not all of them, but some of them. 
You go to other parts of the world where pace of life is slower and where community is stronger and they do not suffer from the same kind of things that we do or the magnitude of them. So I'm not, I'm not trying to simplify it, but I am saying that there is something about our culture which is making this worse. You know, they reckon that one in four people will experience a mental health issue at some point in their life. And one in six in the past week may experience a common mental health problem. One or two in a hundred will experience a severe mental health problem at some point in their life. One in ten children and young people experience it. And 70% of those children and young people apparently do not get intervention at an early age that they should get. And they don't get that. Um, and I think just to kind of highlight this, we, we have some stories in our own church community that happened a few months ago. I was in, on holiday in July and, and was overseas and got back on the Sunday night, came to work on the Monday and took a call early in the morning from a local funeral director. And I didn't know what had happened, but they told me that there'd been a 16-year-old girl in our own community who used to come to our youth club from time to time in the back who had died in very, very tragic circumstances. And um, at the time, we didn't exactly know what the circumstances were. There's a lot of ambiguity and confusion about that. But we now know that it's the kind of most tragic circumstances that maybe that a young person can lose their life and take their life. And so they asked us whether we would be willing to host that funeral here, which we did. And um, it was just very moving and very um, heartbreaking just to see this place full of family and friends and teachers and many teenagers trying to come to terms with the death of their friend at such a young age. That was the Tuesday. On the Thursday, I came to work and I couldn't get my car down the drive because the police had cordoned off the whole area uh, and we weren't allowed to drive in these streets. And we realized later that uh, a, a lady in her 30s, uh, again, suffering from mental health issues, was standing on top of the car park wanting to jump off. And she stood from 8.30 in the morning till 12.30 at night. Now, thankfully, she didn't jump off. But I think those two issues here in our own community in the space of 48 hours just showed us just what a massive issue this is in our world. Why is there such a stigma when it comes to mental health? Nine out of ten people who have been affected say they have faced stigma and or discrimination. And I think one of the reasons there is a stigma is that unlike other forms of illness or even disability, you can't often see it. So if you break your leg, you've broken your leg. There's no stigma in talking about a broken leg because everyone can see you've broken your leg if you've got it in a cast or whatever. And why is it that if something else breaks inside of us that we can't see, there's such a stigma with it? Maybe there's a sense for some of us who've not experienced any of these kind of issues. And I want to be... I want to be sensitive here maybe there's a sense that we just don't get it and we think something and sometimes we even say we think why can't you just do this <laughs> you know why don't you just think about it that way why don't you just not be negative why don't you just focus on the positive things why don't you just do that and, we, and that's because we've never experienced it we don't know what it's like and so in our misunderstanding and our inability to connect we often say things which aren't that helpful and here's something that if you're a Christian and you have mental health issues or problems, however you want to define it, that can be even harder. You often think it should be easier. And in some senses, of course, how do you get through some of life situations without God? And I get that. But when you're a Christian and you suffer from some of the things that I've mentioned, it can be incredibly hard because you say, how can I be a Christian and go through this? Where's my faith? Or even deeper, where's my God? 
And so I want to say to you this morning, and there will be some of you in this room, of course there will, who will be having the same kind of questions. And this is going to be a difficult, painful morning for you. But I hope that as well as that, this is an incredibly life-giving, full of hope morning for you as well. And sometimes we say, God, how could you let this happen? And there's all that stuff. But then sometimes we turn it in on ourselves and we say, if I know God, how can I still be feeling the way I'm feeling about life? Well, you need to join the club this morning. And I hopefully we'll open up some of those issues for you. Um, in April, I had the privilege of going to America to visit some churches there as part of kind of studying and learning and growing, which I always want to do. And I went uh, in a church in California called Saddleback. Some of you will have heard of. Rick Warren is the pastor of Saddleback Church. It's a church of 30,000 people. He's written lots of best-selling books. Last year, Rick and Kay, his wife, their son Matthew, who was 27, took his own life after struggling for years with bipolar. And uh, so this very, very well-known uh, worldwide Christian faith leader had to go through the whole issue of grieving uh, in the public space, which he did. And he said this, It's amazing to me that any other organ in your body can break down and there's no shame and stigma to it. But if your brain breaks down, you're supposed to keep it a secret. If your brain doesn't work right, why should you be ashamed of that? And then the Warrens said that they plan to use proceeds from the sale of their son's house to fund a ministry for, for into the whole area of mental health. Rick Warren said in, a, in an interview that the initiative would take inspiration from Saddleback's existing HIV AIDS initiative. And he said this, 10 years ago, God called my wife Kay and then me to help remove the stigma attached to HIV AIDS. Now it looks like we're being called to help remove the stigma for a much bigger disease. And he says this, 34 million people have HIV and AIDS. 400 million battle mental health issues every day. And the stigma attached to that is massive. And we as a church really feel that God is calling us to walk towards this. We don't fully understand what that means. Faith Trust also feel the same call. And next week, Jane's going to be talking into this area and into other areas as well. And as part of that, we just want to say, God, you need to open our eyes. I need to open my eyes. And so one of the things we're going to do, and it should come up here on the screen, is that on the 24th of November, we've asked Mind, which is an organization really experiencing this, to come in and to do an awareness night for us, okay? It's not Christian in that sense. It's just literally an awareness night of some of the issues. And you are all very welcome to come to that. doesn't mean you're necessarily going to do something, but it's just to open our eyes and to be aware of the world around us. So before I introduce the person that's going to share her story, what does God have to say in this incredibly difficult, painful and real subject? I want to say three things really. Firstly, God's goal for us is wholeness, but brokenness is as a result of the fall. And you might say, what on earth is the fall? Let me explain what the fall is. You see, God created uh, the world, the universe and mankind in a perfect way. And we had a perfect connection between us and God, between us and one another, and between us and our environment. But because God loves us so much, he gave us something very precious. And you only do this if you really love someone. He gave us the gift of free will. So we could choose what we did with what God gave us. And what we did is we turned away and we went our own direction and we disobeyed God. And that meant that broke the connection between us and God. It broke the connection between us and one another. And it broke the connection between us and our environment, which is why the world is as it is. It's not perfect as a result of the fall. And that means that there is pain and there is sickness and there is disability. And there are these mental health issues in our world as a result of that. But God's goal for us is wholeness eventually. And he's in the business of rebuilding and restoring that fallen, broken world. And one day there will be no pain or no sickness or no tears. Aren't you glad about that? 
That's ways, I don't know how far that day is off, but it is coming. But the second thing I want to say about God, and, and I hope this brings hope for you this morning. God's finest have often experienced seasons of life that were the most darkest. When you read the Bible, you see that God's finest, those men and women that God said were men and women of faith, who, who we think are the heroes of our faith, often experience dark nights of the soul, which is what the, the early church fathers used to call this kind of thing. They used to call it the dark night of the soul. And so Job, that, that guy Job in the Old Testament, who the Bible says was upright and blameless. In other words, he, was, he lived an amazing life. And yet he lost so much in his life that it caused him to have incredible times of, of, of darkness and of despair. And um, Elijah, the great prophet of God that called down fire, that spoke a prophetic word to the, to, the, to the king and the emperor of the day. You know, he sat down under a tree in the desert and he said, I feel so bad I want to die. He experienced the dark night of the soul. People like David, Moses, Jonah, Jeremiah, the list goes on and on. And there's a person in history called C.H. Spurgeon. He lived in the middle of the 19th century. And he was called the Prince of Preachers. And he was often frequently plunged into severe depression. And someone that wrote a biography on him said this, What he suffered in those times of darkness, we may not know. Even his desperate calling on God brought no relief. And then he, Spurgeon himself said this, There are dungeons, he said, beneath the castles of despair. So, so a guy who was the prince of preachers, who God used amazingly all around the world, he said there are dungeons beneath the castles of despair. He knew what it was to have the dark night of the soul. And I want you to know, God's finest have often experienced life's darkest. But the final thing, God's response to pain and hurt has always been to give of himself. Often people say to me, how can you believe in a God of love when there's so much of this happening in the world? And of course, this week we've, there's been the, the memorial of 50 years after Abba Van. Some of you who are older will remember that. 1966, where that horrible thing happened, you know, with the, 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 uh, the coal face thing just sliding uh, over that primary school and over 100, 114 children losing their lives. Awful, awful thing. And often, and that was often used, uh, and I remember even when I was growing up that, that even though I was, you know, born that year that that happened, but I remember growing up people saying, how can you believe in a God of love then? What about things like Abba Van? And they would say that. Of course, now we know that Abba Van had nothing to do with God, was all to do with human beings. That's what caused that. But there are things that happen in our world that are difficult to understand, difficult to explain. Uh, uh, but, but I know this, that God actually promises that he's going to give of himself into our pain and into our difficulty. There's his promise, I will never leave you or forsake you. Even though you walk through the darkest valley, I'll be with you. There's his presence you know, Isaiah 41, don't be afraid for I am with you. Don't be discouraged for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. Uh, someone called Meister Eckhart wrote this and I love this little phrase. God is like a person who clears his throat while hiding and so gives himself away. I love that. It says God lies in wait for us with nothing so much as love. So, so I don't understand you know, why things happen. And I don't understand why the, you're going through the pain you're going through. But I do know that God is there and he's giving of himself. And he wants to give you his promise. And he wants to give you his pre presence. And he wants to give you his power. He does want to intervene. And so Job, who we just spoke about, at the end of his life, he looks back over his life and he says this. I know, Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. 
I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. Rick Warren, after his son Matthew died, he said this, God knows what it's like to lose a son. And so God is not detached from our pain or from our darkness. He is there. He always gives of himself. God himself does not always give all the answers, but he always gives all of himself. And so for you this morning, if you're going through something in your life, or you know someone close to you who's going through something, and it's dark, and it's difficult, and you want all the answers, God may not give you all the answers, but he will always give you all of himself. And so today we're honoured to hear the, the story of a remarkable and courageous young woman. And many of you know who she is. She's been a part of this church for a long time. But many of you have not heard her story or seen her, and certainly in recent years. And why don't you put your hands together and welcome Naomi. Now it's great to have you here this morning. Great to be here again. I know, again, you've done it <laughs> once. I did say I was chatting to your mum just before and we both said, that, you know, she's brought her tissues and I said I brought mine as well really, but we got through it all right at the first service. When did you first start experiencing these difficulties? Um, I was about 13 or 14, so I was at school. Um, I'd had a lot of difficulties growing up with various different things, as the video said. Yeah. Um, but I started to spend a lot of time on my own, so I would just miss lessons completely, disappear out of school. Um, and I started to experience voices. So um, at first it was basically like someone just commentating on what I was doing as I, she's walking down the street or whatever, which didn't feel particularly, felt a bit strange, but not really okay. scary or anything. But then they yeah. became really abusive and derogatory. And... I was really struggling to cope with them, so I started self-harming because I couldn't control what was going on in here, but I could control the physical pain. Yeah. Um, and I also started misusing aerosols um, as a way of blocking it out. Yeah. Um, my mom found out about the self-harm, although she didn't know about the reasons for it and that, and took me to the doctor who referred me to CAMS, which is Child and Adolescent Mental Health Services. Um, and the waiting list was 12 months long, so I got put on the waiting list. As time went on I was continuing to get worse and worse um, and it all came to a head at school one day I'd been in my English class and I was hearing things and seeing things which mm. other people obviously couldn't I was responding to them and the teacher kicked me out of the class for being disruptive um, and I just ran off uh, the police picked me up actually on the dual carriageway mm. just across the road I, I don't know what I was doing there how I'd got there or anything Strangely enough, I was seen by a psychiatrist within about five days. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. So, was that a defining moment then in that at uh, the start, really, when you know you all realised that you know that something was happening, and, and was that the first time you think you got some help then? That that is definitely the first. Okay. Time. I, I can remember the date; it was April the fifth. Okay. Just how okay. Yeah. Okay. Over the over the past fifteen, sixteen years, then I mean, it's hard to sum it all up, really. Obviously, what what has life been like for you, Naz, in, in in coming to terms with this, in living through this, in some of the places you've been, experiences you've had? How how has it been the last fifteen, sixteen years? I think the only way to really describe it is a complete roller coaster. There've been some real highs where I've met some amazing people. Some of the experiences I've had in hospital um, with some of the other patients and some members of staff have just been. You know, things that you would never experience in any other situation. But again, with that came the real lows, which was obviously yeah. the reason I was in hospital. So in terms of the psychosis, the hearing things, seeing things, um, feeling things that weren't yeah. actually there, um, 
and the paranoid thoughts, the delusions that I had. Some of my lowest points were really when um, I was 17 and first went into hospital and I'd become convinced that my mum in particular was trying to kill me. Now, if anyone knows me and my mum, you'd know that's the mm. furthest thing from yeah. the truth. But in my head, that was the reality. Um, and that was incredibly difficult. And then other times, not just the psychosis part of it, but the depression that comes yeah. with that and the real low points um, that come with that. And you just, when you feel like that, you can't connect to the good things in your life. You know you've got them, which makes yeah. you feel even more guilty, but you have no way of connecting with them. Um, I, I was 19 when I first tried to take my life, and that was actually at home, that I wasn't even in hospital at that point. And the last time I tried to take my life was last year, wow. um, at the age of 30. And there have okay. been many attempts yeah. in between that. So wow. It's difficult. Wow. And the last time you were uh, on a stage at church <laughs> was when you were 16? Yeah. And uh, so, was it, so these, these difficulties had started, yeah. but then you became a Christian, you got baptised, you shared your story. So do you want to just talk to us about how how you saw God and faith then and then maybe how you see God and faith 15, 16 years later with all the experiences that you've had in between? I'm trying to remember the answer I'm supposed to give because I said <laughs> at the first service, no, you said when, something when, really good. <laughs> when, we, when we met a few weeks ago, you said something so profound, but it was so profound that you can't remember it. <laughs> no, you say whatever you want to say. It's not mental health. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, when I was 16, um, I'd, I'd been to church all my life, but at the age of 16, something happened. I'd, I'd been ill for the first time and started to feel better, and I really felt that God had healed me at that point, um, which I later came to know that was not the truth. But um, I felt on top of the world. I felt like nothing could get me, and I thought God was great because he'd healed me. Um, I stood up in front of everyone, and I told everyone that, you know, God, he's great, look what he's done, all this kind of stuff. Never expecting that four months later I'd be in hospital for the first time and probably at one of the lowest points I ever was. Um, I also, when I got baptised, I remember you said to me, be careful now because this is when the devil's going to attack you. And me, in my kind of arrogance almost, was thinking, you know, God's healed me. What what can get me now? I'm stronger than all of this. And I was kind of thinking it was me that was doing it, not God, which is something I think we do quite often. We'll we'll ask God for to do something in our lives, and then when he does it, it's like, well, I did that. Um, and now the way I see it, after years and years of being in hospital, being in psychiatric intensive care units, many attempts on my life, really difficult, dark places, I still think God's great. But I think he's doing things differently. Um, yeah. Wow. So how, it, during that time, I know, because obviously I've been to see you in nearly all of those places yeah. that you've been in and been there when in your very darkest moments when almost like nothing could reach you. And, and you can, how have you experienced God through through this period of time? What are some of the ways in which you've experienced God over the last 15, 16 years? I think some of the ways I've experienced God have been quite negative. Okay. If I'm allowed to talk about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all. Just that kind of in the really dark times, I felt like God hated me if there was a God. Yeah. I thought, how could someone who loves me let this happen to me? Yeah. Um, and then also because of the kind of psychotic symptoms, I became quite convinced that 
I was going to hell because that's mm. what I was being told. I was um, quite confused about my faith and yeah. kind of things that come along with the supernatural world, but also yeah. can be symptoms of an illness and yeah. it gets quite confused yeah. um, in that. But I remember last year in particular was a kind of game changer for me um, because I was in hospital again, um, but it felt very different. Mm. Um, and times previously I'd kind of almost physically cried out to God, where are you? Yeah. Um, and I think last year, although it was really difficult, I kind of felt God was with me. Right, wow. Um, but that didn't stop me from still feeling sometimes that I just couldn't cope with it all. Yeah. Um, and when I did make attempts on my life last year and then felt better after, I felt really guilty. So okay. it kind of becomes really complicated. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I actually, last year in hospital, covered all the walls, the ceiling and the floor of my room <laughs> in pieces of paper where I'd written positive quotes, wow. things people had said to yeah. me. And on the wall, right opposite my bed, was a poem that I'd written, which was basically a prayer to God. Yeah. And the kind of repeated phrase in that was, even though you seem so far away, I know that you're still there. Wow. And that was the kind of thing that I yeah. held on to, yeah. I think, through everything. Yeah, amazing. Wow. I mean, one of the things I've, I've always loved about you is your sense of humour. Okay. And, uh, you know, obviously there's been incredibly dark moments when it hasn't been humorous. But even in the midst of some of that, you know, in the journey for you, there's been some interesting moments, people you've met, experiences you've had, you know, laughs that you've had, even in the midst of it all. Do you want to just share any of those? I think for anyone who's never been anywhere near an acute unit, <laughs> they're, they're one of the strangest places <laughs> in the world. <laughs> Because of the staff and because of the patients. <laughs> um, some of the staff I've met have been interesting characters. Um, I'll tell you one story, um, which my mum will not laugh at because she's still very angry about <laughs> it, but I can see the funny side. Um, there was a nurse when I was in the extra care area, which is a seclusion unit, and she'd come up with this whole... She was the, um, the manager of that unit, and she'd come up with a whole list of rules and regulations of what I could and couldn't do. And the top one was that I could not be referred to as Naz okay. because it was a shortened version of my name and therefore <laughs> demeaning to me. <laughs> when I pointed out that I actually really like being called yeah. Naz, she said, no, you will not be called Naz by any other staff. So then I pointed out to her, well, your name is Patricia and everyone calls you Pat. <laughs> <laughs> she was not impressed in the slightest. Um, I think I got one over on her in that one. And then other staff have been really funny in positive ways. Yeah. Um, I remember the first time I was in Bushyfields, and this was actually at one of my most ill points, and I still remember this vividly. Um, I was in my bedroom, and I was seeing things come up through the floor. Yeah. So I was scared to get off my bed. I was crying. I was just in complete bits. And two nurses came to get me for my medication. I wouldn't go because I didn't want to step on these things that I could see. So they dragged me to the clinic, and the nurse who was doing the meds basically said, just leave her with me. He shut the door and they went and he said, where are they? And I was going, they're there, they're there, pointing at mm. these things. He's jumping around the clinic. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't actually make them go away, but yeah. 
the yeah. fact that someone was listening and to was me and, and was, wow. this is real for you, wow. I'm going to try and do something about it to make you feel better, wow. was really important. Wow, that's me. brilliant. W what are some of the other things that have helped you during this time? Because one of the things I think we're going to think about as well is m maybe we won't experience that, but maybe that we'll know people who, who, who do. And so, so what are some of the things that have helped you so we can learn from that? I think one of the really big things that's helped me is my family support and friends. Yeah. And like I said at the first service, um, my family is a lot bigger than a lot yeah. of people who are in hospital because I have my church family as Absolutely. well. Um, and that support has been really key. So mm. when, I, when I think about people I've met who've got no one, yeah. it, it really gets to me. Um, and I'd like to do something about that in the future. <laughs> but um, I think not just family support, but I found things like music and artwork yeah. and different ways yeah. of expressing myself. Um, because it's really hard to verbalise things. But just someone taking the time to listen to you, to, mm. you know, take time from their busy schedule. In this world, we're all going at 100 miles an hour. For someone just to mm. take five minutes yeah. and just listen yeah. is one of the best things you can yeah. do for someone. Yeah. I mean, that, that's been very impacting for me as well, knowing your heart for people. You know, you, even in some of your darkest moments... Y your heart for other people in that environment and, and actually for when I've been to see Naz and, and aware of how many people have been to see you and, and, and the reality is that for many people in those situations they don't have no. that at all do they really this is some of your artwork that's coming up on the screen as well N Naz what would you say to us today if a any of us are experiencing some some mental health difficulties what would you say to us today anyone who thinks they might be experiencing some mental health difficulties and actually that doesn't have to be anything like I experienced. That yeah. could be, you know, really struggling with something in your life, um, not feeling that things are quite right. Just talk to someone. That's all I can encourage you to do. It's really important to share things with people. When I was younger, I didn't tell anyone because I was so confused, mm. so ashamed. And, and part of that for me, I think, is why it's got so bad for me that I didn't get help yeah. as soon as I could have done. Um, right. So really just talk to someone, yeah. tell. And don't be afraid to go to the doctor. Yeah. If you need to, That's good. go. Good. Well done. The next word's going to come up on the screen now. Merlin, please, hope. This is you painting hope as well. So what, what, what hope can we be? And what, what would you say in terms of how can we help others? How can we be carriers of hope? You said that on your, on the, you know, on when you yeah. drew the paper. How can we be carriers of hope to other people? What, what can we do? Like I said, just listening. Uh, it's the small things, not the big things with hope. It's mm. the things that other people might not even notice. The things like a smile, a kind mm. word, giving someone a gift when they don't expect it, mm. taking the time out of your busy day just to spend five minutes with someone who might not have a conversation with someone for the rest of the day. It's mm. the little, little things yeah. that actually mean so much to people. Yeah. Tell us about your, the birthday card story that okay. you said it at the first service. Because that was when someone tried to do something like that for you, really, yeah. wasn't it? Um, I had a friend called Catherine who I met, mm. I think, when I was 21 and in hospital, uh, an adult hospital for the first time. Um, sadly, she committed suicide five years ago. Um, but in the time that I knew her when we were in hospital, we had some real experiences together. Um, and the one time... Um, it was my birthday, and she came to me. We were both in hospital at the same time. She said, you didn't tell me it was your birthday. I said, I don't want to celebrate it. I'm in hospital. And she went, mm -mm, went off in a huff. <laughs> she came back. She'd had some leave, so she'd been off the ward. She came back grinning all over her face. 
That's an idea. Um, <laughs> she gave me this card, so I opened it, and on the front it said, congratulations on your exam results. <laughs> <laughs> so I was kind of thinking, how do I actually tackle this? But as soon as I looked at her, I knew she'd done it on purpose, so <laughs> I was all right. And then actually, um, from that, there grew something that we could actually do for Catherine, because... Yeah. She then got quite sad and she was saying, you've had lots of cards, it's my birthday next week or whenever right. it was, and I won't get that many cards. Yeah. And my mum, for the next week, everyone she met, <laughs> yeah, she got someone <laughs> to write a card for Catherine and yeah. she brought them all in on Catherine's birthday and you should have seen Catherine's face, yeah. it was just amazing. Yeah, yeah. And I think the reality is, because I remember being one of the people that Leslie asked to, to do that, <laughs> Uh, of course, Catherine's own difficulties was so pronounced that she took her life. But actually, she experienced some love and kindness before that. Do you know what I mean? And we, live in a, we live in a broken world, don't we? And, and actually, to experience some love and kindness in those moments, you know, is important and it matters, really. Now, as the other, this is the final question, really. The other thing that has always impressed me about you is, is your incredible tenacity and your grit and your endurance and resilience and all that. And there's been moments when... You know, it's been incredibly dark and you've had, you've had no sense of hope. But even through that, you know, it, it's always emerged. And you've always had a heart to to want to do something for other people. And you've missed a lot in your life over the last 15 or 16 years that other people your age have all had and yeah. have gone through. But what's your hope for the future? What are you doing now? And what's your hope for the future for your life? Let me just say one thing before I go on to mm -hmm. that. Um, when I look back at all my experiences, I can look at all the times when I was saying, where are you, God? And now, looking back, I can see him in every single part wow. of that journey. Yeah. The people he put there, the right people at the right times in the right wow. places. And also looking back, I know that if there wasn't a God, and this is what I really hang on to, mm. I'd be dead. There's no way I'd be sitting here in front of you. There's no way I'd have been kept alive that long. Mm. So... I just wanted to get that in there. But <laughs> in terms of what I'm doing now, I'm actually, um, I started a college five weeks ago, which is a college of adult education, um, doing an access course. So I'm a resident in Selly Oak. Um, and I'll be doing that until the end of May next year, which is when I hopefully will be going to university. Great. So wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. And I know your heart is to want to help people yeah, yeah. as well, isn't yeah. it? And, and, to, and to give back. And you're already doing that now and you have been doing that a while that's amazing now as we want to thank you so much for your honesty and your openness and vulnerability really in, in just being so honest and real with us this morning i want to pray for you um and then we want to express our thanks to you so why can we pray guys let's let's pray for naomi father we thank you for naomi lord today and just what an incredible not just a story but just 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 the real opening up of her heart and her life god in these few minutes lord to try and say a little bit about 15 or 16 years is incredibly difficult but god we want to thank you for it and we want to we want to pray god that that god that she would know your presence in in in, in ever increasing ways god we want to pray for her at uh, that college there and lord as she heads to university and as she lives a life and helps people and god as she maybe battles with all these issues uh, god we just thank you god that in the midst of that that she knows who you are and that you know who she is God, we want to thank you for her story and for her life and for her witness and her testimony today. And we want to say, God, would you help us? Would you open our eyes that we could see the world that it is around us and maybe even walk a little bit towards it to bring a little bit of help and a little bit of hope? Maybe we could send a card to somebody and that could brighten their day. Maybe that's it, but that could make a massive difference. 
So God, thank you for speaking so powerfully to us through Naomi today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we express our thanks to us? How do we respond after a thing like that this morning? I want, I want to just say two quick things. If this has touched anything for you personally, and, and if there is any areas of this that you think you're experiencing, be willing to get some help. Do not be so proud or so embarrassed that you don't get some help. Please get some help. That could mean asking someone to pray for you. In fact, at the end of this service, we have a prayer room over there. We've got some people that would love to pray for you. That isn't to say one prayer will make it all go away. We're not saying that. But be willing to get some help. That could mean asking for prayer. It could mean going to your doctors. And please, I want to say to you, Christians have different views about this. Let me be really blunt and really honest. If your doctor prescribes you some medication, take it. All truth is God's truth. And God is bigger and over and above all of that. And if we're not just one-dimensional beings, if we're holistic and we're made up of different components, then why can't actually we get some prayer and get some help here and take some medication if that will help? Get some help. But secondly, be willing to be some help. You know, and this is where we need to ask God to open our eyes so that we could see. And maybe open our mouths so we can pray. And open our hearts so we can respond. And maybe even open our hands and move our feet so we can get involved. And what we want to do this morning as we finish is something very, very different as we close this morning. I want to ask everyone to stay where they are, not go to the loo, not get up and walk around for the next few minutes. Okay, guys, the young people as well. No one move for the next few minutes. You know, in the Old Testament, there's, there's a bit where King Saul was um, unsettled and he had what, what, a, a kind of a, a mental and a spiritual unsettlement. And uh, he was really in a dark place. And David had just killed Goliath and, and Saul had brought David into his court because he was a great musician and he was a harpist. Uh, and the king said, there's one occasion where, where he called for David to come and David played the harp and God, by the Spirit, used that music to bring soothing and relief to Saul. And we haven't got a harpist this morning, but we've got a violinist, so that's the nearest that we could get. And what we're going to do is in a moment, I'm going to read some scriptures to you and Robin's going to play over you this morning. And that isn't to say that if you've got any mental health issues or problems that just hearing the music that God's going to take them out. I'm not saying that, but maybe in these moments, the Holy Spirit would bring you some soothing. Maybe in these moments, the Holy Spirit would bring you a little bit of hope. Maybe in these moments, the Holy Spirit could just speak into your life. So as the guys start to play, why don't we close our eyes if that would be helpful and let me read this to you. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are troubled, and I will give you rest. So come, you who are burdened by regrets and anxieties. You who are broken in body and spirit. You who are torn by relationships and by doubt. You who feel deeply within yourselves the divisions and injustices of our world. Come, for Jesus invites us to bring to him our brokenness. David writes, Is there any place I can go to avoid your spirit, to be out of your spirit, your sight? If I climb to the sky, you're there. If I go underground, you're there. 
If I flew on morning's wings to the far western horizon, you'd find me in a minute. You're already there waiting. Then I said to myself, oh, he even sees me in the dark. At night, I'm immersed in the light. It's a fact. Darkness isn't dark to you. Night and day, darkness and light, they're all the same to you. Jesus says, peace I leave you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. So do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. pray for you this morning Father if we've ever experienced the dark night of the soul then God we are in really good company because many of your finest have experienced that also and not only are we in very good company but we're in the presence of a very good God and so God I pray that Lord if any of us here this morning are struggling Lord in any of these areas right now God would you come by your spirit? Would you bring some peace and some help and some hope? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.